I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Suzanne Schwartz, Director of the FDA's Office of Strategic Partnerships and Technology Innovation, Center for Devices and Radiological Health. Dr. Schwartz will be discussing FDA's new draft guidance for the cybersecurity of pre-market medical devices. So Dr. Schwartz, the FDA's new draft guidance replaces a previous draft guidance issued in October of 2018 that also proposed updates to a final guidance that the FDA released in 2014 regarding the cybersecurity of pre-market medical devices. What are the most significant differences between this latest draft and the one that was issued in 2018? And why did the FDA decide to start over with a brand new draft guidance? There are several significant differences between the 2018 draft and the one that we recently released. I'll first call to the attention the title of the guidance in and of itself that signals some of those changes. Uh, The title of the guidance, Cybersecurity and Medical Devices, now incorporates quality system considerations and content of pre-market submissions. The importance of that, the importance of incorporating quality system regulations is an expansion in the scope because we have stated over many years the importance of thinking about cybersecurity from beginning to end, from A to Z, from pre-market all the way through a product's use life. And therefore, that has to be considered under the umbrella, if you will, of QSR of the quality system considerations. And while we have spoken to that and socialized it, and we even mention it in the very, very original 2014 guidance, when we speak of quality system regulations and the importance of design control, it became clear to us as we have further evolved, as we've experienced more and matured more, as the ecosystem has matured more, that it it becomes that much more necessary to call out the QSR as something manufacturers need to be thinking about early, early on as they design their devices. And therefore, this guidance does that kind of crosswalk for medical device manufacturers through the QSR as it relates to their pre-market submission and what the expectations are of manufacturers. So that is one very, very significant difference that I want to mention right up front. Um, Another important difference is we restructured this guidance from the 2018 one so that it aligns with what's called the Secure Product Development Framework or SPDF. And SPDFs were really coming into best practice in the years of 2018 and beyond. And uh, in order to be once more very closely aligned with the direction that cybersecurity is going within our sector, as well as how other critical infrastructure sectors and industry sectors are treating cybersecurity, we thought it would be important to align with the SPDF. A third important difference that uh, many have noted uh, was the change from what we had coined as a CBOM, Cybersecurity Bill of Materials in 2018 draft, to the SBOM, or Software Bill of Materials, 
And this change was driven very much by number one, comments that came into the public docket, comments and discussion that we verbally heard at the public workshop that we convened in 2019, as well as alignment with the presidential executive order that was issued last year in May 2021 that specified the importance and the requirement, actually, for an SBOM as it pertains to devices procured by the government. Another difference, uh, we removed a hierarchy that we had designed in that guidance called risk tiers, kind of a stratification, T-I-E-R-S. And we removed that, again, based upon feedback that came from industry who considered that type of hierarchical or stratification was confusing, especially when you overlay that on top of what already exists within FDA's medical device risk classification of class one, two, and three. So in removing that, what we did do is specify the importance of manufacturers providing the testing, the evidence, the documentation for cybersecurity risk as commensurate with the risk of that device. There's a lot more detail in this guidance in terms of what we expect to see in the pre-market submission. So that's a significant difference as well. And then the only one other one that I would also call out here, which is rather important, is we added to the scope of documentation submissions that we expected that would fall under the pre-market to include now the IDE or investigational device exemption. And an IDE is the submission that a manufacturer would provide to the agency, which requires an approval in order for that device to be used in clinical trial investigations before it gets authorization to go onto the market. So prior to this guidance draft, an IDE would not require any evidence related to or any documentation related to cybersecurity. What we are saying is, no, let's dial this back even further. If you've designed the device already with the intent for it to enter clinical studies, clinical trials, and you are needing to submit an IDE, then we expect to see information related to cybersecurity, even in the IDE, which would precede a 510K or a PMA. So Dr. Schwartz, you mentioned that the 2018 draft guidance included those risk tiers for different types of medical devices. How does the new draft guidance address the different degrees of potential safety concerns to patients involving the cybersecurity of different types of medical devices, whether it's like an embedded cardiac device versus a medical imaging system versus an infusion pump? For instance, are all the manufacturers of all the different kinds of devices expected to take you know, the same certain steps or the same certain controls in terms of assessing their devices for cybersecurity risk? Right, that's a really important question. So the way we addressed it in removing the tiers was really utilizing, maximizing this concept of the SPDF, the Secure Product Development Framework, and what that entails. So embedded within that, you have one section which is entirely on documentation related to security risk management. And we call out and spend a fair amount of time talking about threat modeling. 
within that section. So using the appropriate types of methodologies for threat modeling, the manufacturer would be performing that kind of even assessment as to what the risk is to the device and how they're intending, or the risks, I should say, even plural, to that device and how they're intending to manage the the risks of that device. That's one part. Another part of the SPDF refers to the security architecture. And included or embedded within the security architecture are the expectations that manufacturer would submit security architecture views. And that includes, you know, multi-patient harm, as an example, what the global system looks like. There are, you know, security use cases. And then we include a fair amount of examples within the appendices to, uh, to the guidance that allows for viewing cybersecurity across the entire spectrum of medical devices, regardless of whether we're talking about something that is an infusion pump, um, a ventilator, an implantable, you know, a remote control device. So in giving consideration to the threat modeling aspects, the security architecture are you know, clearly going to be ways in which the manufacturer would provide documentation explaining how they've assessed that risk. And then when you move on into the testing um, and what they need to be doing as far as demonstrating to us in evidence how they've mitigated threats, what vulnerability testing has been done, what the penetration testing has been done, et cetera, as, as some examples of how that is being further undertaken. So Dr. Schwartz, this comes up often when we talk to different device makers or healthcare providers. For clarification, the FDA guidance is always stamped non-binding. So has or will the FDA deny pre-market approval for medical devices that don't meet FDA recommendations for cybersecurity? And how will FDA enforce the guidance once it's finalized? Really important question. So uh, that is Correct. FDA guidances are all stamped with letters uh, that say on the top contains non-binding recommendations. I'll add to that also to remember that this is a draft and therefore as a draft, we also state on the top of the guidance, it's not for implementation. It will only be for implementation once it's finalized. And when it is finalized, it will supersede the 2014 final guidance that's out. To your question, though, specifically around if it's non-binding, then how does FDA enforce it? Or where does FDA have the capabilities in terms of assuring the public that devices that are going on the market are indeed cyber secure or securable? And I would say the following, as we've always said with regard to guidance, that its representation of the agency's current thinking and policy, there are always going to be other ways that a manufacturer can achieve and accomplish the statutory or regulatory requirements, whether it's under the QSR, whether it's, again, with respect to patient safety. What the guidance does is it provides what we believe is the best way to do so, the roadmap that is going to be the one of greatest efficiency, if you will, because not adhering to the guidance will on the pre-market side possibly raise additional questions 
that the review teams, the subject matter experts will come back to industry with. And that then takes a fair amount of back and forth iterative nature in terms of getting those questions answered. Not to say that that doesn't happen even with <laughs> adherence to the guidance, but you certainly can become more efficient when one follows the guidance. And to the extent that we will use cybersecurity as a means of determining whether a device is authorized to go on the market, yes, we have held back on device authorizations if the agency has determined that there has not been adequate cybersecurity demonstrated and that that presents a risk to patient safety. So that is where we stand with regard to the position around cybersecurity. It's not optional. Um, It's not something that a manufacturer can choose to do or not to do. But the guidance is providing really essentially a roadmap as to our current thinking and recommendations as to this is the best way for you to get there. Okay, Uh, this is the best way for you to be able to meet the requirements as they are stated, you know, within the law. And in terms of really wanting to see new technologies get on the market faster, it, it often is considered by manufacturers that they are best suited to, you know, to follow the guidance for that reason. There is, as long as you've opened the door to it, I will say that there's also right now um, a few legislative proposals that are under consideration that are in the public domain um, and have been the subject of a lot of a really good conversation that would provide FDA with more explicit authority called out on cybersecurity of medical devices. And one of them is the Patch Act that's been proposed, presented on the House side by Representative Burgess. There's a matching Senate bill that's been proposed by Senator Cassidy and Baldwin on the Senate side. They represent the emphasis on pre-market cybersecurity of medical devices. I would say that we are very encouraged very pleased to see what has been put forth in those bills because they closely track with what we have described publicly in previous years, even in our medical device safety action plan, the importance of the SBOM, vulnerability uh, coordinated vulnerability disclosure being required, the importance of having necessary evidence demonstrating patchability and updatability of devices going forward at the time when the manufacturer is submitting to us so that we don't have to deal with in the future some of the very brittle legacy issues that we and challenges that we are dealing with in devices today. We've also put forth a in our A19 a legislative proposal um, that speaks to again the total product life cycle of medical device cybersecurity and provides justification for why we think it's important that this be put directly into statute, into FDA law, so as to be very, very explicit about the tie between cybersecurity and safety and effectiveness of devices.
So Dr. Schwartz, what's next for this draft guidance and say Mm -hmm. between now and before a final guidance might get issued, there are legislative changes. Would that impact the guidance? Would this now be longer stamped non-binding to, you know, this is what you have to do? Like, how does this all kind of work together potentially? So they're on somewhat parallel, I guess, you know, timelines or tracks. Um, what happens generally with the draft guidance is we have a comment period that is for 90 days. The comment period closes in early July, July 7th. We'll look forward to reviewing all of the comments that comes in with the expectation that after we review it and determine what additional changes, if any, need to be made to further tweak this guidance, um, then we would go on to finalize it. And finalizing the guidance would take place after it goes through the further necessary clearances that happen at the agency level and beyond. It's hard to predict when that will become final, Regardless, though, um, it will serve as an important adjunct, it's probably the best word for it, to whatever statutory or regulatory requirements get put in place. And how we use guidance in general in that a regulation or statute will we'll talk at a very, very high level. And often what FDA does is then it utilizes guidance to further provide this is what we mean by X, Y, and Z. This is how you can go about achieving the intent of the statute. So it really doesn't change anything there in terms of the, the status of the guidance. The guidance will, will, will remain guidance, uh, but it provides, again, what I'd like to say is kind of that roadmap that those recommendations as to how the manufacturer can meet what would be in the law. Dr. Schwartz, the FDA's final cybersecurity guidance for the post-market of medical devices was issued in December of 2016. Any plans to update that guidance and why? At this stage, our focus and our efforts are really on this current guidance, the pre-market and getting comments and finalizing that. We think that the post-market guidance as it presently exists remains a usable, a, a living document, one that is being implemented. And at this stage, we're not looking to make any modifications or changes to it. But as time goes on, that's not to say that we wouldn't reconsider So I think that um, remains an open question, uh, but as to where our attention is currently focused, it's on this particular guidance. And one final question, what else would you like the healthcare sector to know when it comes to medical device cybersecurity that we didn't perhaps touch upon, especially when you look at this sort of changing cyber threat landscape we've been seeing with ransomware attacks and you know other sorts of things that maybe weren't as in the spotlight originally when the pre-market guidance in 2014 was created? You kind of took the words out of my mouth, actually, Marianne, in that there is so much that we have seen, especially in recent years, with respect to ransomware attacks that have been hitting the healthcare sector. And while they're often not deliberate, it's not that they were intended as targets, 
the consequences of these ransomware attacks can be quite devastating with regard to the ability for a care institution to continue to deliver the operations and patient care that it is supposed to do. And medical devices are a huge part of that. And uh, I think that the times that we are living through has really created very much a clarion call for healthcare across the board to pay closer attention to cybersecurity and not think about it as purely a privacy or data privacy confidentiality matter or breaches, you know, from that perspective, but rather how it impacts operationally on the delivery of treatments, the delivery of diagnoses, the interventions that are necessary for patients, whether they are in institutions such as hospitals, facilities, or in other types of clinic settings, or even as patients are walking around with devices implanted in them or have devices that they rely upon at home. And that's how we really have to open the lens, open the kind of broaden the aperture of thinking about cybersecurity across healthcare in general. We within the FDA thinking about that through the context of medical devices also recognize that they are used in all different types of settings and the importance therefore of designing in the necessary controls considering all of these different environments and therefore different opportunities for threats and for adversaries. And so we're nowhere near the end of the line here. This is going to be a continuously evolving process, but one where it's important for us to keep our eyes on the ball. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Schwartz. I've been speaking to Dr. Suzanne Schwartz of the FDA. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.